a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, Greg Sullivan comes by. He is the director of JSETI, which is the Japanese CSETI program that he actually founded in 2010. He is a researcher, an author, an experiencer, a musician, and an all-around amazing guy. This episode, we talk hollow earth, uh, mass contact, UFOs, spirituality, uh, the nine-tailed spirit fox, suicide forest, uh, Japan's hidden esoteric history, so many cool things that you guys are absolutely going to love this conversation. So before we get to that, uh, check the show notes as well for our affiliate links. So Food Forest Abundance, get your freedom from fear on. Also, if you'd like to start your own podcast, Libsyn, that link will give you two months for free. Also, if you were going to buy anything at all on Amazon, feed that beast through our affiliate link. It helps the show, right? For something you're going to do anyway, ideally. Also down there is going to be the resource link Opus, which is the Organization for Paranormal Understanding and Support, a great resource. So you guys definitely check that out as well. Now, if you'd like to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's where links to all the socials are. If you want to support the show, we have an expansive insider type of a deal going on over there that you guys can check out. We also have all the way to too hot for YouTube stuff going on over there. So uh, check those out. Lives are replayed for free. Episodes are out earlier over there. Uh, Damn near 99.9% of that thing is absolutely free. So you guys just go check it out and sign up. Uh, Okay, well, let's get to this incredible conversation. You guys are absolutely going to love him. Let's bring him to it. Greg Sullivan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcoming to the show, we have Greg Sullivan hanging out with us. Now, you are the director of J-City. I cannot wait to talk to you. You are a Xiaoma hookup, and I love this planet because of the way this stuff works. You are so cool. So uh, I can't wait again to get into this with you. I'm grateful we connected, brother. So, uh, Greg, if you don't mind, just for my audience, you have an incredible resume. Just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, brother. Thanks, Brandon. Great to meet you. Uh, It's always a pleasure uh, to connect with uh, fellow Americans here, I I, I, uh, I live full time in Japan, and and uh, I'm 100 percent, 110 percent, you know, involved with my work and speaking Japanese every day. So it's uh it's so exciting to to be sharing the, the our stories and our uh, connections, you know, abroad overseas like this. Uh, and what a great show you've got! A great, uh, you know, I love the uh, the censorship uh, aversion and and the all the other alternative alternative uh, you know places you've made it for uh, good content to be shared. Thank you. Grateful, brother. Thank you for your kind words, man. Uh, just before we move on, uh, is there a way to say expanding reality in Japanese? Good question. Uh, yeah. Kakudai uh, shiteru genjutsu. Yeah. Kakudai shiteru genjutsu. Easily one of the coolest <laughs> damn things. How phonetically pleasing is that? All right, cool. I'm going to cut that uh, into I'll something send you later. The, uh, I'll send you the phonetic. Yeah, I'll send you the you know, the um, alphabetical translation of that. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Well, I'm grateful. Thank you again. Um, no okay, problem. Please. please uh, so what, what got you over to Japan in the first place? 
Yeah, I, I'm originally just like you, uh, originally a music student and musician and a sound engineer. And <clears throat> my journey began, um, you know, I was uh, planning uh, to, to live abroad and study abroad since uh, high school. I originally um, studied in France, uh, in northern France, a little bit in uh, college. And then, uh, you know, sites turned to further places. So uh, Japan was definitely on the radar as far as uh, being able to live and work here. I wanted more of a sustainable experience, not just not just travel or anything. So uh, my first destination became New Zealand. So I was there for about a half a year and um, ended up uh, working on my first album there. And then just naturally with some uh, amazing connections I made there, I, I transited, transitioned into uh, going to Japan. And when I just never left, you know, my, my friend, my good friend from elementary school was there for a year and we both climbed Mount Fuji together as him and his current wife were leaving. And so, uh, it all just blossomed from there. So, um, I know it's, a uh, a place I didn't have a lot of, um, connections to in, in the early part of this life, but I know that a lot of people have come in and I've confirmed big time now that I, I had a, a lot of past life connections here. And, and this whole journey has been, uh, really directed on the soul level for sure. My God, this is interesting. Okay. So now we uh, have to know, you know, what, uh, what was your immediate past life in Japan before the one you've got now? Well, that's the funny thing. Uh, it was, um, regarding a Sam, um, when I, I'm more into the ninjas actually, you know, I was a Nintendo awesome. child, uh, maybe as you were in the very first years of Nintendo. Uh, but, uh, the samurai, um, uh, warriors, they protected the, the, uh, Kings, um, and the local feudal leaders, as you might know. And, um, so the, uh, there's a famous, there's several famous battles in Japanese history. And, and one of the most famous was, uh, <clears throat> an incident, um, where the, uh, um, two, two fighters, uh, met on a, um, deserted Island that was not far from the shores of, uh, Western Japan. So that's really the area I first uh, landed actually. And, um, long story short is I had a couple psychics or people telling me, you know, I, when I look at you, I see the, the, um, chum Maggie, which is the long hair braid. And, and they're telling me, why am I hearing the word Ganyu Jima, this Island, Ganyu Island. And then, uh, the ended up the day I went there, uh, it was the 400th anniversary of the battle to that day. And Damn. so anyway, it turned out that I was the guy who got, um, uh, um, kind of, uh, I lost the battle. Uh, and, and there, but there are a few, um, um, kind of hidden, uh, theories about that, where, um, it was actually not one-on-one, -on -one, it was actually like 25 to one. Uh, so I was one of the strongest fighters or, or samurai in Japanese history there, apparently. And so, um, and anyway, yeah, so that sort of anchored my soul to that area and, and, um, kind of, uh, the message I got in the feed after that so years later was that, uh, because I had this sort of, um, uh, untimely death or, or sort of like a, uh, a death by conspiracy, if you might say it was a trap, you know, um, uh, that, um, I have been given, like, uh, I had a seat here sort of, you know, to do this spiritual work here in this life. So cool, man. I love this. I knew I was going to like you. This just keeps getting better. <laughs> uh, so, um, so from Ninja then, did you ever, so let me ask you this. How far have you, how long have you been investigating high strangeness phenomena, been interested in this stuff since how long in your life, in this life? Oh, definitely a long time. You know, it's, uh, you know, ever since so I was a young child interested in, in these kind of things. And uh, I had a couple amazing kickoff incidents uh, via two books. One of them was uh, written by someone in my dad's office in, in uh, New York. And, and it was uh, an unpublished work at the time. He actually, I think, is uh, in Texas doing, um, he does paranormal research, uh, a guy called Ken, Hud Ken Hudnall. 
And he wrote this amazing book called The Occult Connection. It was, I think, pretty ahead of its time. Um, and um, uh, he's, um, um, you know, uh, my dad was not interested, of course, so he passed it right off to me. And it was sort of like a, a template for everything. It had, you know, Project Grudge and all the Area 51 stuff or the early kind of information about the military and the greys and abductions and all that stuff. And it was sort of like spooky and super interesting at the same time. And then, you know, he even got into, um, you know, all the stuff that we hear about now with the deep state and, and all the anything and everything from entertainment to, you know, um, secret societies, ancient histories. It was a, a whole, you know, ran the gamut uh, of all the subgenres that, that kind of tie in together. So uh, that was one um, part of it. And then uh, I actually went as far as contacting. They had a couple of numbers in there for the. Um, uh, abductee groups um, who ended up, I knew, now know, were probably my lab victims because they were right near the White Sands missile test range in New, in New Mexico. And so uh, I ended up calling one of the numbers in the book and then they got back to me and that's when my parents sort of stepped in and said no we we, we didn't, didn't mean to have this book to go that far please stop you know how, how so, old were you again i was in like probably freshman in high school maybe like yeah late junior high yeah like 16 you know, 15 14 15 so i had a really interesting and at the time i was uh you know we were reading um tom clancy you know red, uh, red october and then all those patriot games and all those huge books we were avid readers my friends and i as children so um i had that sort of disclosure uh background uh for a long long time and then uh what solidified it next was in um, um a couple years later meeting uh discovering the amazing classic by william Bramley called the gods of eden i don't know if you're aware of that that's a, that's like a um a huge one so that that was like just like jaw dropping and it really kind of grounded in a lot of the 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 topics uh um you know put put roots to a lot of the ideas that were put uh, put forth in the occult connection there yeah so that's really my that was really my start from a um information and research level it's amazing yeah and you kind of went the way i did with it with like your jordan maxwell's and william cooper's and stuff like that you know where you find out some really cool stuff plus you're doing ufo things and it's it's all amazing like you said super fun and interesting uh so whenever you were interested in the spiritual stuff in this esoteric uh, these esoteric concepts back in the u.s before you moved to japan did you ever have any inkling of like a calling toward Japan or any sort of past life, um, either psychic or remembrance or recall or anything like that while in the States at all? Like hindsight, you know, kind of looking back. Yeah, yeah. Good question. Good question. Um, I did have one thing, which was what they call the, um, you know, the really the sound of the language. And, and, and people are surprised, like I didn't study at all. Uh, how did you pick up? That's uh, a lot of things. Uh, a lot of people bring in uh, skills and, and uh, you know, skills and gifts from past lives. And mine, um, 100% mine is uh, the, langu the language of Japanese. You know, I had no study at all. So I picked it up. You know, I have a strong listening ear uh, from being a sound engineer. And so um, the sound of it really that that that. Um, the resonance and the, and the tone of it, it sounds so cool. It sounded so cool to me. And that was in there, again, the same same time period, um, junior high school, early high school, where uh, uh, a local um, independent movie, movie theater was bringing in a lot of Japanese anime films. And um, my friend, a good friend of mine, the friend who actually lived in Japan for a year, his him and his older brother were uh, uh, lending me a lot of um, uh, crazy anime videos on VHS too. So just hearing the, the sound of Japanese at that time was my my first kind of portal to it. Um, but otherwise I had absolutely no connection at all. And, and um, it was, it was just a really, really organic uh, process to, to meet um, a couple of Japanese people from that area in New Zealand. And then uh, I figured, Hey, well, 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 they're going home and my friend's there. So it's, you know, uh, 
I, 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 cut, I cut my time short in, in, uh, in NZ and, and went up to Japan. It's amazing. It's serendipitous, of course. I mean, this yeah. is just so cool. Again, hindsight, right? Looking back. So uh, you're also an experiencer. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. You know, at the time, uh, again, it's uh, the experiences start, you know, uh, they involved, I guess you could say, like uh, etheric contact or remote viewing incidents and dream contact all through the years. Um, and uh, I, I kind of really always doubted my intuition. Um, and, you know, I think um, working as an artist helped, helped to really uh, uh, increase my focus and kind of and kind of prime up those size skills as well in, in hindsight. But um, it all was really quite sudden. Um, so in the end, uh, in 2007, my initial kind of catalyst experience into the world of my actual uh, experience was a visit to Mount Adams, the Iseti Ranch in uh, Washington. So uh, we always love going there. And and that was, uh, you know, I, I hadn't I had seen a couple of things before that, of course, but but um, with the UFO sightings and actual ships, they, they move so fast um, that you don't really even realize what you're looking at. So uh, that was my first education in sort of sky watching and and uh, a really breakthrough experience. So after that, that really started a cascade of, um, you know, uh, paranormal uh, things and just kind of that, that from that uh, from then on was it's been a continu continual flow since 2007. It's amazing. What is the most intense one that you've ever had? Wow, too wow, too many to count. You know, I think the biggest thing now is that I'm a sort of a navigator, a sort of an ET contact guide, you might call it. So, um, seeing others uh, really turn on is, is is one of the biggest pleasures. And so, um, you know, the phenomenon ranges the gamut. So it's it's not always. And the funny thing is, it's not always about how you know we own, we initially might think of how how strong it is, how bright it is, how loud it is. You know, the bigger the better. Uh, it, that's not always the case. It's it's such a personal experience that. Um, these other worldly beings and, and interdimensional beings have an amazing way to to find what exactly what that person needs to to uh, to push forward their spiritual development. So, so, yeah, seeing people have those realizations and breakthroughs right in front of you is, is amazing. It's amazing. That's a great answer. Again, great dude. Uh, so tell me about the ranch. Um, yeah, it's uh, quite well known. I mean, yeah, it's uh, uh, not far from the Mount Adams, which is a, a dormant volcano in uh, southern Washington. Washington. So I was there for a, a wedding. Uh, my, my, my best friend um, and was getting married in Portland. All of our good friends from school were there. And, and, uh, and so um, I spent about two weeks there. And I just Google Maps had just uh, arrived on the scene. So I, I typed in uh, the word and, and, and it turns out it was just a couple hours from my friend's house. And so um, in the end, uh, I, in the last day before going back to Japan, I went over there and uh, just with a four or five hours, you know, I was there for uh, late afternoon, evening and into the night. And then I went back to my friend's house uh, for a very early flight the next day. So, yeah, it's uh, it was uh, it's a it's a huge um, field. They call it the field of dreams and um, uh, uh, thousands of people have come in and out of there and have their own experience with uh, this uh, amazing international dimensional phenomenon, the ground lights on the mountain, uh, which have been called the Yakima lights in the past and have been researched uh, in that area. And also, um, you know, all the of course, all the ships in the sky. So it was quite an amazing time. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Now, you said that it's very personal, and I agree with you. And that's why I meant uh, profound, like the most profound experience you've had, your personal profound experience. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's a, yeah. I didn't phrase it properly. Oh, okay. Uh, um, actually, let's see. Uh, you know, because of, so thanks to, um, you know, the amazing thing about the uh, City Ranch was that on first, uh, on first glance, it's, uh, you know, the UFO sky watching ranch. But um, 
actually, at the same place, they uh, the owner James Gill, and he he shows a lot of um he he does an, a a cool work. His private session or his group work is called a TPR uh, session, and it's like a um, uh, a way to connect you know, interdimensionally with the beings energetically. So uh, I think one of the most you know over the years, the um, learning how to do that ourselves and. Uh, connecting with past uh, loved ones and and kind of like working on family um, issues together with uh, loved ones who have crossed over uh, has been just was amazing. Uh, one of them was um, uh, in Japan. One of the places that's most um, sensitive to ancestors and elders is Okinawa, the islands of Okinawa, which is like the Hawaii of Japan. It's uh, between it's uh, south of the main islands of Japan, uh, you know, location of Karate Kid and uh, Karate Kid 2 and whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, a lot of U.S. military presence, a lot of World War II history there, of course. But um, they're very uh, so I was there with a, a, um, a young kind of shaman. Um, uh, she grew up in the tradition of um, priestess women. Uh, and so we were, she's very close to my age, you know, mid 40s. And so I stayed at her um we were filming a, a video together and um, we, uh, we stayed at her uh, office and the first night I was there alone and I'm out, I'm looking out over the sacred Island. One of probably the number one sacred spot in all of Japan. It's, it's a small flat Island called Kudaka um, not far from Okinawa. Uh, and, um, and I'm looking at the Island and I started to connect with my guides and whatnot. And all of a sudden uh, I knew who was coming in was um, my cousin, Brian, who passed away suddenly in LA. Um, so I was spent a lot of time with him before developing this project. And what was so crazy is that he, um, I had a premonition or uh, an incident where we were given um, a, a musical song that his wife could, could, could then connect with him after he passed. But this was like, obviously none of us knew that was going to happen. So um, in the short time we were together uh, before I went returned to Japan, um, uh, it was so strange because he's looking at me like, why are you telling, why are you sharing that, that music with my wife and not me? You know? And he, it was sort of a strange moment. And then afterwards, years later, he suddenly passes and, and, um, and, and it was like a message from, you know, you can use this track to then connect with him. So he, he came in and reconfirmed that. And, and uh, we, we confirmed the fact that he was now, a, um, a, you know, a star being actually like a Syrian guide. And so, and then we went, we proceeded to do it in enormous, um, clearing on the the Sullivan family um which you know which had uh you know whether that be uh you know old uh old old hurt old hurts and, and misconceptions and you know all the stuff that goes on in, in a family so and uh you know so that was pretty mind-blowing it's incredible and i love the concept of ancestor healing based on now and it's all quantum physics and i love this so i'm, I'm grateful that you're into it as well yeah we're now- just it gets pretty deep uh, quickly, yeah, getting beyond the dimensions, yeah. Oh, it's so cool. And then, you know, you, your mind, it, it's mind-blowing. Just think of this place. Just think of human bodies that you've had here, even like a human and maybe like a giraffe or something in one life and all the other ones were human, but they were all here. You were all very human. But then to kind of extrapolate that out to now your other beings' lives, because maybe now your Syrian uh, cousin... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He now will have to clear his human life, maybe in some Syrian life. Now that he's doing that, maybe he had a few things left over here. So you're like, ah, oh, I got this human stuff. I got to still deal yep. with. That's exactly. It's amazing. It's mind blowing how deep this thing goes. So how do you keep it from being so convoluted? How do you keep it straight to where you're just like, yeah, that connects to this, and then that's how you do that? Have you been given clear guidance from this, or is this just intuitive? Um, yeah, just, it's experiential, you know, that when they come in, they, they, uh, they bring in the next piece of the puzzle. And, and so, uh, 
we've also had people like literally who took part in our events, you know, made contact in the field with us and then passed over and then they would reconnect uh, as spirit or, um, uh, and then become an ET guide or whatnot. So it's a whole new, it's a whole new breed of guides. You might say, uh, I call it the newly ascended humans. Um, yeah. So, the, uh, but then they, they always bring in a piece which uh, of their story and, and that helps us learn like, Oh, you know, once you go past this point, you can do this or, or, or they needed to clear this before they did that or whatever, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's quite a complex, uh, um, phenomenon. Yeah. How clear of messaging can you get from your cousin? His name is Brian, right? Yeah. Okay. How clear messaging? Um, well, even when he came in, it was like, I was like, I just, he blew, he blew me over. I almost fell over. It was so strong. It just exploded into tears, you know, cause, and you know, I, it's, a, it was an instant recognition and, um, um, it was a traumatic passing he had. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that's a whole other story, but, um, yeah, basically, um, um, yeah, it's, it's subtle impressions and it's, it's developing the ability to catch, uh, hints and impressions that, so you, uh, you, it's a part of the side training you might call it is that you start to realize that you're always picking up, um, you know, information from the outside world. So you kind of learn how to split the two streams and, and you, you make your, uh, you learn how to make your own conscious stream kind of neutral and flat and, and put, bring that noise down and then bring the signal, you know, the signal to noise ratio we talk about in, in audio. So they're bringing up the signal of the, the guides and these other beings. So once we're, once we're strongly connected, they have an open channel, an open forum to share what they will. And, um, you know, it was, it was a natural, um, flow for us to, to get into the clearing and, um, the things that they're, they have access to as from, from the ship or whatever. So that's a, it's a powerful bringing in their technology. And so it's, a it goes beyond a personal support, like, um, you know, uh, so, um, I think, the they want to reach the most people uh, they can at, at one time. So it's in, so, uh, it was the right timing. He was brought forward by other beings. And then, um, you know, here and there they'll pop in, uh, in life, you know, memorable life moments or, or when there's something that, and that only they can do or, or whatnot, but they're pretty busy, uh, in their own right, uh, out in the other, you know, dimensions. So, um, it's not like they come in every day. Um, so yeah, but, um, I'd say at the, you know, in the, when it, when it comes to a family member like that, it's really clear. The signal is really clear and, and, um, you know, they're just so happy to reconnect and, and they're, tell, they're telling you I'm okay. Some of them have even gone into a second life, you know? So well, within a span of a month or so, we've gone into and then it's like wait a minute is this the same person and it's like no i'm in my another i'm in the second life i'm, I'm a, i've gone from now male syrian to a female Pleiadian or something you know it's like oh my it's god a, yeah, we, I didn't even think yeah, so. of that because your guides would be transitioning as well while you're still alive like there'd be some overlap yeah. maybe damn. yeah yeah damn it's dude. pretty it's pretty intense it's pretty intense yeah yeah. And then I guess it would just be like a recognition. So the reason I was asking is because I'm just kind of curious about if becoming going from human to Syrian um, star god, what what does that look like? Like, is that have to do with what you do here or is that just like, oh, man, I get off. I got off the human ride and that was amazing. I'm going to go ride the Syrian star god now. And then you go to that line and then you ride that <laughs> yeah. next. Oh, well, I'm just getting, I'm getting a blast here. Uh, what I wanted to tell you was actually, um, there was an episode, what he did tell me, um, I'm, I'm reminding, remembering right now is that he, he gave me a phrase, um, which actually I was about to, uh, a short while later, I was, I went to visit his family, uh, and I was in LA in the house and the, the house had some pretty, um, um, negative vibes to be quite honest. It, it was in, uh, Nor it was in Northridge where the earthquake was. 
and I ended up finding out there were some pretty wiggy beings and they would screw with me when I would stay there. And um, he actually predicted what happened. It was really crazy. Out of nowhere, we had um, a, a kind of an interference event um, with his daughter. His younger daughter and I were there alone in L.A. And um, just out of nowhere, we had uh, uh, sort of a, a, a I don't know. I don't know what would you, you would call it, but we we both um, she thought someone was breaking into the house. And we ended up having this whole like bad trip scenario where we, we had to run out of the house and like uh, call the police and everything. And it, it ended up just being the dog clanking on the, on the hardwood floor, uh, clanking the um, cat food tin. Oh. <laughs> so it was like this, but it sounded like someone was really at the door. So it, that was like, um, yeah, the, um, some of these uh, lower, lower level beings and, and sort of uh, um, the uh, person who lived there was actually a famous Hollywood screenwriter. So there was some of that wiggy Hollywood black magic stuff there. Um, and so anyway, like that's a whole other thread. But um, yeah, they kind of see my light. And when I would stay there, just have a series of bad dreams. And, and um, you know, uh, so anyway, he predicted that. And it was like, you know, I, I think he was trying to warn us. But um, unfortunately, we didn't get the we didn't really get it until it had happened. <clears throat> that's wild, man. Um so, yeah, like I said, I'm just so what are your thoughts on that then? What do you think happens after we die? Oh, um, well, yeah, I think I'm uh, sorry to keep avoiding your questions. There. No, sorry, okay. uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think um, uh, definitely, um, you know, I, I think uh, the more we, uh, you know, the more we have, uh, we're, the more we're open to this uh, ET reality, you know, it is such a um, it's, it's going to be this new paradigm. So I think for for those who are open uh, spiritually, um, uh, what we found is the ET guides um, really are involved with the insolment process and the reincarnation process and the soul review process. Um, uh, you know, that, that gets into some sticky territory there, but uh, I think it's a, a definitely a free will thing. You know, the ultimate thing is we should have ultimate choice. So breaking beyond the, breaking beyond the um, wheel of reincarnation, uh, what I'm talking about here is more of like a higher dimensional um you know, it's choosing your next life path yeah. more so than just a, a looping reincarnation thing. So first off, I think uh, for human, for earth humans, um, a lot of people are going to have options that they've never had before. So that's one amazing thing, um, you know, we could see uh, going on. And then, um, and then the other thing is the ability to have uh, the ability to, to release a lot more burden um, and kind of uh, miasm, they might call it and kind of um, built up karma in, in the ancestral line um because that's what tethers us down a lot of times so i think going going back through the uh, akashic field of the family and stuff is a, is a huge piece um and then also a lot of people may choose to stick around um either reincarnate as another star seed or, or reincarnate as another being around the earth to help with this process ongoing process so um it's such an exciting place in space right now here you know so um but i think uh, yeah um the old treadmill of, you know, um, coming right back into your own, the own, this sort of one real life path is over. So thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's recent or do you think that that's always been like that? The idea that you're stuck here is the trap. Well, they talk about you know, the whole, um, you know, negative astral soul recycling program and everything. I think so that these breakthroughs are, are recent. Definitely. Yeah. So there's been a lot of uh, cleanup on the fourth dimensional astral level. And we, we've had a lot of experience with that here in Japan, because in Japan, you know, the, the uh, usable land space here is only 20 percent of the entire land space. You know, the, Japan is 80 percent mountainous. So what that translates is to uh, people recycling the same 
pl- um, plots of land and, 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 and they do a ritual, you know, uh, a Shinto ritual where they, they clear the land before a new house is built or, or whatnot. But um, sometimes that always doesn't do a hundred percent of the trick. So I'm sure hundred percent of the job. So uh, we're very aware of that um, fourth dimensional spiritual sort of, uh, you know, um, how'd you call it, you know, entity possession or, or uh, land uh, problems with land, you know, hauntings and stuff here for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now that you mentioned it, just before I forget it, uh, any news from the Nine Tail Fox? Did that just kind of fizzle out, or are you guys doing okay over there? What's that? The spirit of the Nine Tail Fox. Remember the rock that broke open, and then the Nine Tail Fox came out. It was like a thousand year old rock that just broke in Japan. Uh, no, I didn't hear about that. You did well, not. I, you better be on the lookout, dude. Nine, nine <laughs> oh, Tail Fox spirits running around. Yeah, there it was you this, go. This rock hmm. that was protected by, uh, I believe, an emperor. I'm telling you something about Japan. I love this. I love yeah, this. Place. I like that. Yeah, I love that. And <laughs> there's just like a rock that was there and it was all memorialized and everything. It had like a little plaque and allegedly the story goes that like this evil demon was trapped in there by an emperor and then he would kill the next emperor that it whenever it opened or something like that. So it's trapped. It was trapped in this right, rock, right. but it just split open like this year. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a lot of issue um, stories about that with the um, you know, the uh, beings being put into a trap or an underground and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's an issue here. Yeah, interesting. Well, it, the one the one we did have uh, um, um, was that uh, uh, being uh, a large boulder tumbled from a cliff in, in Okinawa there and on an island we often have amazing contact on called Ishigaki. So that's uh, they talk about the uh, the mythological spirits of the islands. And and that was a huge sign for the local people. Um, and really, the energy did shift of people, my, our friends and our, our our collaborators who live there really experienced a, a positive uh, shift once that happened too from the boulder rolling down yeah it, it was like a 20 ton boulder that fell off a cliff and and um it changed the shape of this it the, the mountain itself was supposedly a, a woman related to a, a male being on a nearby island and they were mythologically uh, lovers and stuff and so um she was able to go back to the place she belonged and uh, people interpreted that you know to mean that I yeah, love so. that kind of stuff. This is the thing I <laughs> yeah. love about things like this. How cool is that? Even if it's not true, whatever. I mean, it's way cooler than just some rock fell off the thing. No, now her spirit's free and now we're all better for it. That's yeah. awesome to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. So in my mind, though, too, this rock, I don't think was that big. And if it, if it had that dangerous spirit in it, I don't know what the deal is with relocation, but you take it and you drop it in the ocean somewhere. You know, you don't just leave it out in the open with a plaque. Not only that, people would come like to this thing and see it. So you're just asking for trouble in my mind. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the, that's a really good one. They call that the Tatari, uh, Tatari uh, spirits and they're uh, spirits of vengeance and spirits of revenge. And uh, it also ties into the post-war um, GHQ MacArthur. Uh, General MacArthur was here and. There's a lot of uh, researchers who talk about the fact that um, Americans strategically moved um, the ley lines because the Shinto shrines uh, often create um, ley lines and grids. So uh, Americans uh, were aware of that. And then some researchers claim that, you know, um, important power sites were changed or altered or moved um, on purpose, you know, to kind of kind of break down the energy grid here um, as, as more of a uh, as more of a, um, you know, post-war effort to. To, to change society here. So um, that, that's that been going on for a long, long time, though. That's not original to GHQ at all. So uh, they also call it this. Uh, some people talk about the Fusui Wars, which is like uh, even presidents of large companies and architects in Japan um, have done that in Tokyo, where it's like 
uh, first, the first thing is that governments build their sites on on power sites, you know, and, and uh, we've often been to many uh, amazing um, large castles and, and um, ancient government sites, which are just super energetic, energized and, and really, really uh, natural power sites on the, on, on the ley line grid. And then other people will start to, they'll build something in the way of that to block that flow. So uh, the ancient people have always known about that. Um, um, one, one element of it is called Om Myoji, and the city of Kyoto is built on a, on a quite of like a checker grid. So um, that's been a part of the ancient um, Asian tradition here for centuries and millennia. Um, yeah, so that's some interesting. Right now, I'm, and I just happen to be in, uh, in Ginza in, in Tokyo, um, and the famous uh, Kabuki Theater is right over here, one block away from me. And uh, a lot of people say that the energy of that changed when they built this huge building right behind it is a high rise. It's the offices of the Kabuki Theater. Um, and uh, they said that was like a no-no as far as the um, Feng Shui, you know, the Feng Shui element. Yeah. It's called Fusui, Fusui in Japanese. So uh, so there's always, uh, people are quite aware of that here for sure. That, does it still mean wind and water? Yes, yes. Yep. Okay, very cool. Yeah, so very, it's, the exact same, it's the exact same kanji characters, yeah. And what is it That's one more time? Chinese. What, what's that? Oh, uh, one more time on the pronunciation. Uh, fu sui, fu sui, fu sui. Awesome. Yeah, wind is fu, uh, and then a sui is water. Yeah, music. Yeah, water. You're full of all kinds of amazing <laughs> information, and if nothing else, guys, you could say that you learned something here. So that's amazing. Yeah. I you know this is incredible. So okay, I want to ask you also about that suicide forest over there. What do you know about that thing? Oh yeah, you know a good friend of mine from New York uh, uh, was with Vice News, and he did the sound on the. Uh, everyone should see the Vice uh, video on on that one. Um, and he did the sound. My friend Keen, uh, he came over and did the sound work on that. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's a, it was famous from uh, um, the Aokigahara, I think it's called. It's the it's on the mount, slopes of Mount Fuji. Um, uh, I think I believe it's on the um, Pacific Ocean side. Um, you know, the southern slopes are this huge um, remote forest where. Uh, it was uh, romanticized via a novel um, where uh, the, the one of the uh, people in the novel went there and committed suicide. Uh, and, and so that became a, a kind of a social tradition here. And so the police there are very aware of, you know, um, deserted cars and um, you know, the whole. The, uh, unfortunately, the suicide rates here have been quite high due to the lack of you know, the increased amount of stress and overwork, the overworked Japanese population and the and the. And the uh, lack of um, release, you know, places to express yourself or, 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 or be kind of be open and, and honest about how you're really feeling kind of thing. So, um, yeah, anyway, um, that's uh, it's still an issue. But um, I think with all the increased uh, security and surveillance that uh, um, it, it's harder to go there and do that now. But, um, yeah, we, we haven't it's it's a it, there's not really many hiking trails around there. Um, most uh, the, the tour buses if Mount Fuji go up to the fifth station, which is above the tree line. So you do go through that um, area, but um, not many people are roaming around there uh, on a day hike or anything. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't know if there was something um, mystical about it, you know, cause you hear about a lot of paranormal stuff going on there. And I mean, I guess with all that, and I mean, really it's like a dense energy area. So it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario. Do, is it that way because people were drawn to it to commit suicide there? Or is it that dense and energetic and draws people there because people, well, like a few people did it and then it just kind of became a domino effect? Yeah. I think it's more of a domino effect. There's nothing, uh, the area itself is, is actually quite high vibe and, and you know that's an interesting uh phenomenon because it's an interesting question because 
uh, you know, we've we've done our contact work. Uh, we do uh, contact retreats. And we've done um, it, 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 we've done it in every prefecture in Japan right now uh, over the last ten years. So um, you really get to know the difference between you know areas that have had like ancient battles or um, and what I found is that when you're near the volcanoes, the volcanoes seem to have this. Um, it's almost like a desert in a non-desert environment. It's it's um, uh, what we found is that uh, a lot of ghosts and paranormal activities um, require uh, humidity. And that's part of the reason why there's a lot of ghost reports in England and also Japan here, because it's so humid and wet. So Texas, that's the opposite of Texas where you are. Well, um, Houston, it sucks because it's like that, uh, because it's super humid. But that makes so much sense because of the water vapor in the air. Does that have something yeah. to do with it? Because air, it has because something to do water, with it. Yeah, because water, it's of course, a transducer. is so spiritually. Yes. Damn. Yeah, so... When and the volcanoes seem to have, they're very dry. They can, they're more a lot more. They're a lot drier than other places uh, in the lowlands or near the on the coast. So um, what I found is that astrally, um, volcanoes are normally uh, less built. They're less um, their the ability to haunt them or the ability to for disincarnates to be uh, to stay there is, is it's harder for them to do or it's just a, a naturally more difficult environment. Um, so yeah, I would say definitely that it was just so happened to be a social, that was a totally human thing. And, um, there are, uh, there are, there is a military, a Japanese, a Japanese defense army, uh, training base near there. And, and, uh, a lot of spiritualists have come over from abroad to work on the Mount Fuji area. And it's a huge power site. And I've been in inside there in, in dream contact as well. I was in inside the volcano once or twice, uh, yeah, and then um, a good a friend of mine um, from Hopi, Ruben. He's uh, um, uh, from the Water Tribe of uh, Hopi um, in the Second Mesa, and uh, he comes over here once a year. Um, and he showed me, and he told me an amazing story um, where he and when he climbed up, um, the uh, the goddess of Mount Fuji is uh, what's called Konosaki Hime, and she's a, a, a female spirit, and uh, she welcomed him, and he actually was able to take a picture of the. Um, of her kind of energy in, in this orb. So he, he took a nap on the uh, crater rim when they got to the top. He, he kind of laid down and took a short cat nap and he went into a dream state, like a trance state where he saw this beautiful um, long haired, long black haired uh, princess in the kimono and everything. And so um, she, the spirit of Mount Fuji welcomed him and uh, for the work he was going to be doing in Japan. Yeah. That's a cool thing to have on your resume. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. A lot, man. <laughs> And then he woke up and took a picture of the crater and there was this like giant blue orb and uh, right in front of the camera. So she appeared in, in an orb form too. Yeah. How cool. Is that when you went in, in your dream state, what was inside the volcano? I saw the giant, you know, the kind of black rock, um, at, you know, magma rocks or the, uh, you know, the, um, just a huge open space. Uh, and I could see the slope cause it's a very beautiful, um, smooth slope to the entire mountain when you're climbing. So it was sort of like the external slopes, um, all inverted inside you know but uh, yeah i yeah like the pitch on the inside of a roof yeah yes yes that's pretty that's cool awesome. yeah what well, was there like a city in there were there like beings and stuff hanging out willie mammoths no shit? i didn't have a lot of memory no, i didn't have a lot of memory but yeah it's just uh i remember just being in there and i was doing something so uh yeah that's as far as i got but that's awesome what do you think about the hollow earth uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think that's, uh, we've have, we've had, uh, experiences where, you know, a lot of the ships and, and we experience in Japan are coming from inside the earth. So, um, they're definitely, you know, uh, from the very get go of my experience there at Mount Adams, you know, I was seeing the ground lights and Mount Adams is a huge stargate and, and, uh, the ships coming in and out of the mountain. So that, that idea was, uh, 
um, I met that, you know, got familiar with that idea uh, since 2007 or so. And then we had a ton of experience right from the get go with uh, lights coming out from the ocean and, and from inside of mountains and everything. So yeah, it's, it's a, that's a really big piece to it. Man, that's cool. I love the hollow earth stuff, man. That's fascinating to me. So um, yeah. what about I? Uh, have you ever seen any UFOs around volcanoes? Because I know that there is a connection. Good buddy Darcy Weir made a movie about it. It's an awesome documentary about volcanoes and UFOs. So I'll have to see you, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very cool. I think Amazon Prime. Yeah, very cool okay. and great dude. Darcy's awesome. What's the title of that? Uh, U- UFOs and volcanoes. Okay. Or yeah, the inverse, volcanoes <laughs> and UFOs. One of those two. Put those words in any okay. order uh, and okay. Darcy Weir and it'll pop up. But there is this connection with UFOs and volcanoes and a lot of times active ass volcanoes where they're spewing magma and lava and then a UFO pops out. And we know that that's, that's not tremendously exciting for them because they can do any of that stuff, but it's still pretty cool. It kind of rules the heat test out, you know, visually for yeah. us. Yeah. Yes, yes. What do you think yeah, about for that? Sure. Yeah, for sure. One of the places I la- um, when I first landed in Japan was Western Japan, the island of Kyushu, and that's uh, extremely uh, actively volcanic. Nagasaki Prefecture has uh, um, one that erupted uh, called Unzen, uh, and that's that was featured in Werner Herzog's uh, Netflix documentary. Um, uh, that was an amazing one. I forget the uh, name of that one, but that came out two years ago, three or three years ago. Amazing filming. And uh, the two volcanic premier re- researchers, the couple uh, passed in that one. They got too close to the flow. And um, they were so they were a part of the um, uh, maybe 16 people or so that pa- that were uh, uh, victimized in that ex- um, eruption. And then uh, also the um, ASO, uh, the uh, largest caldera on Earth is the ASO Kuju National Park. That's in, that's also in the center of the island of Kyushu. Um, and, uh, also we've got the one that most people in the West know, uh, Sakurajima, that was the one in about 2011, where you had the, the, the video from the Japanese government, where a lot of the ships were coming in and out. Yes. Um, yeah, so that we, we spent a lot of time down there and, um, it's right next to the city. So just the power it's, it's we, I felt it going, yeah, the power increasing over the years and, um, yeah, so it's, uh, <clears throat> we've had a lot of, um, uh, experience with that for sure. The the big one that tied into that was that um uh, I had a premonition of the uh, Kumamoto earthquake. You know the the second largest earthquake after three eleven Fukushima was the um, Kumamoto earthquake in twenty sixteen I believe uh, twenty sixteen or seventeen and um, that one was um uh, uh, we had a lot of ships and activity before the earthquake um, in that Aso National Park. Uh, tons of ground lights that were coming up from in the inside of the uh, earth and uh, what i got what, what we gathered was that they were preparing and kind of holding down the earthquake for the right time and actually scientists and were baffled because the way the ground slid and it created these waves in directions that were totally different from the actual um quake itself so uh there were some scientific anomalies there too so um we we, we definitely get into the fact that the ships are not only in inside the earth but they're also um helping you know with the controlling the flow of magma and and, and uh you know um you know holding down in uh calamity so it's not too damaging damn so um <laughs> in in that case then it would seem like they that they care and that they want you know to minimize i don't know disaster if they can but it also seems like if they're able to do that they should you know, one might argue that they could avert any disaster, you know, why let them happen right. in the first place? You know, how do they pick and choose? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point. Uh, so, I mean, 
um, that that most of it is on a global scale, a tectonic level, uh, as far as the whole Earth. You know, not only protecting humans, but it's uh, it's it's just uh, helping. It's helping the Earth in her process of her evolution. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, the people have just uh, uh, um, people have um, wondered like, why didn't they step in on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and things like that? Uh, right now, though, we have one situation where uh, I don't know if you're aware that Tokyo is overdue for a, a ten magnitude ten class quake. Um, and Tokyo is the largest uh, populated city on Earth. So that is one that we're definitely getting the message that they're holding back on. Um, I've moved back to Tokyo from Western Japan in the last couple of years and really felt the, the taste of the earthquakes here. Um, they've been on an uptick lately. And so the topic is always in the people in the back of people's mind, people minds here. Um, Mount Fuji eruption and the, the, the big one in Tokyo, the big earthquake in Tokyo. So those are two that are definitely not going to happen. We've, get, we've gotten a, a very, very strong message. And um, uh, it's obvious that most of the quakes in, in the last couple of years have been in the middle of the night where all the trains are stopped. People are out there calm. You know, the, the society is asleep. So um, kind of like it has to release, but they can control the release to yes. where it does minimal effect. Yep. Yes, That's exactly. And they spread them out in the very general vicinity. So, yeah, th this weekend, uh, I'm actually going up to Fukushima to uh, interview the the uh, new UFO Research Museum, the, the owner of that. And and so, you know, we've got that whole Fukushima-Tokyo connection. So the fact that the huge earthquake occurred in Fukushima was actually a blessing compared to how much damage it would have caused if it had been in Tokyo. Because if you look at the historical record, the Tokyo ma major Tokyo earthquakes have been right in the city. I mean, they're right in the city. I'm talking like if it was Manhattan Times Square style, you know, direct hit. So that would cause such chaos and damage. The, the country would basically stop and the amount of um, collateral damage would just really be uncalculable. So that's when we've gotten the message that they're definitely not going to let happen. Um, so, yeah, they, they've got news shows and CG. They've done all sorts of CGI and they, they've been, they've made anime movies about it. Like, you know, because it's never been this populated and there's never been this many high-rise buildings in uh you know with it during the time that there's been a large earthquake in tokyo so no one knows how bad it would really be and then of course the tsunami risk and all that stuff so yeah we, you know so that's one thing that we've gotten a clear message from the the guides that they're not going to let um that they're not going to let that timeline uh manifest you know that's interesting but again it it says okay well then the things that did happen had to have happened like fukushima like the nagasaki and hiroshima bombs um because they i guess essentially let those things happen yeah yeah yes yeah well there, there's sort of like a ratio of how much life would actually be affected or damaged i mean it's hard it's hard to imagine from our point of view but i uh, like to, to to put a quality marker on that as far as numbers go but um yeah uh i wouldn't say that anything like that for sure but um yeah it's it's uh they have their reasons and uh, and in the total uh in the total ascension uh in the total uh you know uh, ascension drama here uh that there's a, all these pieces have a, a role to play you know so those are things we'll we'll all figure out once we get to the other side i guess yeah yeah and philosophically that's one of the tough ones because it, when you think of this then you think of okay well they um have like a chrono visor you know and we have all these like project looking glass and all that awesome yeah. stuff about being able to see or travel into the future or whatever past or see the past at least so if they have something like this and the technology to be able to manipulate it then perhaps they can you know extrapolate out, out of time okay well if this fukushima thing happens this is how much damage will be caused over how much time and people and whatever but yeah. if it doesn't occur then this happens and it's like way worse dude so we're just gonna let yeah, this thing yeah, happen yeah 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 so it's a timeline so, yep 
Yeah, it is. And so that's kind of one of the things with like the hard questions, like Hitler. Like, why didn't they just stop Hitler? You know, if you can time travel, why didn't you stop Hitler? And the, the answer is, if time travel is real and you can do it, then whatever you stopped by letting Hitler continue to be Hitler uh, and then stopping him when he did whatever he did was far worse than whatever Hitler yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. It's that yeah. weird thing. You just don't know, you know? Yeah, the, the, that's what a lot of that's really getting into the ET perspective where they they're t- checking out different timelines and, and potentials. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just yeah, wanna, yeah, that's interesting. I, I want to ask then, uh, do you think that they're just messing with stuff and that if they just left things alone, you know, and life would progress in a certain way, cataclysms would come, cataclysms would go and then just, you know, quit messing with it. You know, everybody makes <laughs> fun of I never I never watched it, but the Flash show on uh, TV, I think WB or something like that, they had the Flash but um, he kept going back in time and changing stuff. And the whole series is basically like all the seasons are him fixing what he screwed up in time by screwing <laughs> yeah, the time. <laughs> so yeah. is this something that we're that the ETs are doing? They're kind of scrambling around these grays, just bumping into each other like, oh, we shifted timelines again. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, first off, I wanted to say that um, I've worked quite a uh, You know, I worked uh, I often talk about that in, in my Japanese lectures and stuff and and. Uh, offer that perspective because uh people have a tendency to um to uh especially now with the whole um underground base wars and that that all that stuff they the people always have a tendency to, to now spin things into conspiracy and and uh we have this amazing we have amazing video proof uh from the from that kumamoto area you know that was something i experienced directly um and and we had a whole lead up to that earthquake and and um and people will simply fall into the uh Oh, there was a high radiation level at the at the military base there in the days before. So this was a man-made earthquake, you know. So the man-made earthquake theory is takes precedence. And then I, I've been trying to um, uh, show people look. There's a larger picture. There's a larger piece to this. Yeah. So um, I think you could say that like, there's a, a lot of maybe time timeline struggle, timeline wars. You know, so uh, different uh, agendas are, are involved. So um, yeah, I mean, World War II is a huge one. We're um, not so friendly uh, you know maybe i would say not not so friendly to human humanity agendas you know came about came about there and, and so people like uh hitler and even the japanese were used as puppets um uh so that, that's a whole other story but yeah yeah uh, yeah um, but yeah so the uh what i find is yeah so the um yeah the the what is it the it's like a a tree branch where we have that main timeline and then there's all these other ones that branch off so um you know the the possibilities are infinite but there's also higher probabilities so they 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 are able to calculate which ones are going to be most probable and now we're getting into the fact that you know we can change our timeline ourselves so we're actually able to override timelines so the more humanity wakes up and and it takes part with the support takes you know active uh uh, takes active part in the support that's being offered um we're able to continually raise that main timeline yeah, so that's uh, that's another one we get as far as a message. What do you think about a wild card theory? Because I was talking to somebody about this. I forget. It escapes me now. But this like wild card theory to where, yes, there is these probabilities and there's this either or. But there's like a, a third dimension to this thing. This These options of, of randomness can occur that are considered like a quantum like wild card. Sure, of course. See that there's that obviously like the source field that, the you know, all we're talking about beings that are in between source uh light source the the source of everything and us and and they have limited control as well they have 
uh, things that they weren't able to predict and, and, you know, they make mistakes and everything like that. So they're, they're not perfect either. So yeah, it's, um, so there, that these corrections have been, you know, um, corrections have been made on the highest level, uh, to kind of help us, um, help turn the tables in our favor. I, I that's what I really believe. Yeah. I feel. Yeah. I yeah I, so the wild card is that the sort of uh, X factor that, that pulses in, it's the life force, it's the, 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 time, the uh, course correction, from sources uh, on a, from unimaginably high levels. Yeah. Yeah. Like that weird freak strength or that weird thing to where something falls and somebody can catch it, but it's like so many tons or whatever, these weird anomalies that occur, they could be like fractures of this, you know, expressed in this way. But one thing people, just to touch back on that World War II point, because that gets, I know that gets really taboo. Um, and just to, to let people know that, you know, there's there's how many different conspiracy theories are, and, and alternative, I like to call it alternative history, but how many different alternative histories are out there is that many people in the Japanese spiritual community uh, or researchers here, uh, several people are open to the idea that the Japanese emperor um, willingly was cooperating with the atomic bomb project. Or, you know, with the whole Pearl Harbor thing and, and the Japanese knew that that was going to happen. And so there, there's so all sorts of theories about how the, uh, um, it, you know, history is not as we know it at all, basically. So, you know, they, their people here are, uh, are, have gone beyond the, the victim role and, uh, kind of they're, they're willing to take into the, uh, 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 take into account that, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the bad guys in World War II were also involved in things that they weren't aware of. You know, the, the bad guys and the good guys are, are in, in one story, but then in the, from an interdimensional perspective, it's a whole other story, right? Yeah, it's got to be. But yeah, uh, they say FDR, nobody wanted to go to war, uh, World War II in the U.S. And so they let Pearl Harbor happen is the story as it goes. You know, Australia, again, allegedly radioed in and FDR just let it happen. He let it happen yeah, yeah. because he wanted to bring America into the war. Uh let me ask you a question just real quick and then we'll get back on topic because I'm just curious about this. I've never asked anybody that close to Japan. Uh, what do the Japanese think of the Americans? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're definitely amazing allies now. And yeah, I mean, they're, uh, they think we're, you know, they look up to us as far as the amount of freedom and the freedom of expression and creativity. And I think they, um, you know, they, it's been a, a uh, it's been a, a kind of a, a strange soul connection where our, our post-war interactions, you know, we, uh, has been, have been very, um, mutually beneficial. So, you know, you might say, and, and they've, they've grown to be a huge world economy, you know, power, powerhouse in the, in the world economic stage and everything. Um, and then the, their ability to, um, uh, what they call Kaizen is like, they, they're not, um, they have their Japanese culture and cultural in, innovations were, were really active in, the uh, 16th and 17th, 18th cent, um, centuries, um, but, uh, now they kind of, they're, they fine tune, uh, Western inventions. That's, you know, the, as we've seen with electronics and automobiles and things like that. So we're the creators and then they were, they, they refine it. So uh, it's an interesting relationship, like, you know, the, the bicyclist, the bike maker, and then the pro cyclist, you know, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a, a an interesting marriage of, of skills. Yeah. But yeah, I think, um, they, they're, uh, as far as the, uh, self-expression, they, they, um, um, I think they, uh, they definitely wish they they could be more open and and assertive, personally assertive. I think that's on a personal Japanese level. Um, most people uh, hold themselves back. You know, they're very uh, restrained and um, humble is one word, but then restrained is more accurate. I think you know they so they. I think um, once they go um, abroad, you know, a different part of them is able to be 
uh, the beast can roar, you know, a different part of them is able to be expressed. So yeah, people have Japanese people who have lived abroad or study abroad have a much, um, uh, you know, more relaxed take on life. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great to see all, all different people from all different walks of life here. Yeah. Yeah. They have a broader view of life. So yeah. I'm going to say two words. I'm gonna let you run on it. Okay. Mass yeah. contact. Okay. Wow. There you go. Uh, yeah. So what we've, um, over the last uh, 10 years, you know, J city, our, our main efforts have been with the CE five contact movement and, um, doing uh, direct field work in the, um, you know, in the, in, the, in power sites and, and all sorts of places in, in nature in Japan. So we've had, um, you know, over the years, uh, over 6,000 or so uh, visitors and participants to our events. So um, I like to say the words mass contact because, you know, um, we're doing that as, as a group and, and the, the, the residents of this field effect of uh, conscious awakening is just super um, prevalent here. It's, and, and um, you know, I think it's a, uh, uh it's mass contact for me means you know the, the population here is um you know the, the amount of people who can gather under this topic is pretty impressive so that that spreads and then they share it with their friends and so um we're going we're heading towards mass contact globally is what that means for me as well so um you know the japan here is is for me in a, in a way a template for what can be possible in, in other countries and, and coming out, you know, it's, it only takes a, a, a few seconds, you know, of a sighting or a, it only takes a few seconds of interacting with this, you know, interdimensional ET phenomenon to, to really deeply awaken and, and, um, uh, you know, realize what's at stake as well. Awesome, man. Great. Again, well articulated. Uh, Thank you. Me, yeah. I, I am curious to say, I, I know that you have uh, had contact, you have intuitions on this, do you think that you have it pretty figured out as far as what the extraterrestrial phenomena is? Uh, let me continue. That's your question. Actually, pulled the, the second piece is going to come in. Uh, so what I'm saying, what I was going to say is a uh, mass content. The other part of it is that it's, it's not a personal thing, you know, because uh, for me, you know, um, you know, a lot of times we hear what we've heard in this uh, ET UFO realm is a lot of personal experience. Right. And, and, and that's been great up until now, but honestly, a lot of times it, it's it just hits you as really it's from an energetic level it's it's really oppressive i find when you really start to um and and uh, a lot of people give their power away away to experiencers or, or people with actually no no proof at all so mass contact for me is um it's not my personal thing it's it's the the really powerful experience is the is the shared experience so um i kind of cringe when people really miss that point and and then, and so we're saying the contact you know what i want to say is the contact we're providing or this this uh, open group contact is and what that provides is, a, is an out it's an exit to the kind of feedback loop that we've had where you know i've had this experience hey believe me you know or i've had this experience so you should base your entire cosmology on my experience which is just insane you know so um uh, what would I okay, repeat your question again? Sorry. Oh, actually, I wanted to ask you one more thing on this. Apologies. Uh, with these mass contact events and with having everyone in the same mental space at the same time, it kind of reminds me of an ayahuasca ceremony. You are visited by something that is there to change your life. You do it in a group setting. You mentally focus in on an intention and then you are changed in a way. And usually it happens very personally. It's a very personal experience. I don't experience the same thing as the guy next to me or a girl next to me yeah. or whatever. So do you compare the two? Do you think that they're fairly similar? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting paradox. Like you have the group field, um, the group energy, and there's a group consciousness, but then also that 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 drills down into a personal experience as well. So it's a, it's a it's an amazing 
kind of um, p- paradox there. Um, yeah, and then um, uh, as far as, um, but then at the same time, uh, maybe, maybe something like ayahuasca is more of a subjective, more of a subjectively based one, whereas our goal in the ET context is, is actually more of an objective, um, uh, you know, both are important, but at, at first I think the objective um, element of, of a ship appearing in a five sense level, that's a really um, breakthrough experience because whether it be a shamanic experience or a, um, a visionary experience or a channeling message or a, a dream contact, a lot of that subjective, um, uh, you know, we might be able to, to be, um, we might be able to be assured and, and, and sure of it ourselves, but it's hard to share that with others, right? So the objective um, experience is amazing and, and unique because it's, it's undeniable and it's, it's five cents, it's provable, we can film it and uh, that can be then shared with others. So, um, yeah, I think both are super important and, and, uh, and, uh, the, the actual objective and subjective, uh, they're tied together in an infinite. we we got a symbol, um, two, two years ago, the infinity mark, because even with CE5, it's, it's the internal meditation and, and, uh, remote viewing and the, the protocols, um, involve deep introspection. And then that, and then it ends up, um, translating in, uh, externally visible phenomenon. Um, whether that be, you know, transceivers and walkie talkies bleeping and then the, the, you know, ships that appear in the sky visually. Um, so it's a, what we got this amazing message from, uh, uh, during a contact event, uh, over a long weekend was that, um, the, the infinite mark, you know, the, the figure eight, the maybe a smart is the infinite connection of the internal world and the external world. Yeah. The as above, so below thing, like the Taurus field. Yeah. Yeah. They're threaded together. Yeah. Man, this kind of, and this man, when you get philosophical with this stuff, and I love talking about this, you talk about how like the earth is actually this Taurus field, right? It's not round, it's not flat, it's not any of that. From your perception, it's whatever you want, but it constantly recycles in on itself to sp- and then carrying the energy back into itself and then back in to create itself anew. And I love this kind of concept, man, this type of stuff. And especially when you think of this as like a fractal universe where let's say that it, that the concept of like a hollow earth. Okay. So you have a ball there's it's hollow on the middle of that. But what if even that there's another, we're on the inside of something else, like a hollow earth. And then we're there on the inside of something else. And so it's this fractal thing, but where it gets even trippier is if each of those dimensions is the same thing, it's just different things going on in them, like this infinite out, but it's just you the whole damn time. Right. Just looking at like the back of your head, looking out at you. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's wild, yeah. Um, no. So I, I wanted to ask those because you have had contact and, and you've got an intuitive contact. Do you think that you have a handle on kind of what this thing is? You, you know, as much as you could, do you think you have a pretty good line on the, okay, I know it's not this, it's probably more likely that. Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, that's been a very slow, I've been really severe. My, my kind of process of self-checking and self-doubt has been really intense. I, I definitely never wanted to ever, uh, you know, share anything that I didn't experience personally or wasn't really, really sure of. So everything I talk about is based on experience and and has been checked and double checked, triple checked. So and and the fact that we're our research is is um, is through these events where other people are there. So it's just not my personal subjective um, experience only. You know, so uh, but but through that, you know, we've had the repeatability, you know, and the um, repeatable cycles of how. Uh, you know, these sort of missions come in and, and uh, projects for each year, uh, you know, the, diff- the different things we've been asked to do and been guided to do. Um, yeah, so I get the, you know, in the end is that after the first couple of years of this contact work, I really got 
the different message and was sure that we're, uh, this is part of this larger quote unquote ascension process. And, um, you know, Japan is playing a big role in that. So, um, we've been, it's, it's been full on since we've started. So, um, you know, uh, even during the lockdowns and on the last couple of years, we've been doing all this media TV appearances and, and it's, it's been really chock-a-block. Um, yeah. So, but I, I think that, um, uh, the, you know, Japan's been playing a role in that energetically big time. And, and so, um, it's exciting to be on the, on the, the front edge of this, I call it the front end lines of Ascension. Yeah. So, um, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, basically, um, yeah, the shows like yours are right there and, and, uh, and, you know, I think, um, you know, we're really transitioning into this mass awakening. So uh, all the pieces and all the keywords we've known up until now, uh, have been kind of making this creating a stage for the actual real performance to occur on. So now we're, we're, we're all the stars are aligning and the, and you know, the spotlights are on. So now it's going to be really, I think from 2022 on, it's going to be even more amazing. Man, you get me fired up, dude. I, <laughs> I, I share your enthusiasm and your, your optimist. I'm a chronic optimist on this as well. And so I, I again, share the hell out of this with you. I think we're just getting started. And if you look at this, like a play, like Dolores Cannon's, um, and this idea has been around for a long time, like this is a play and we're just actors, but waking up as you realizing you're the actor, not the character you've been playing and everybody else is playing these characters. A lot of people are, but that's what this is. And it's like, this has just been a practice. They're like, okay, wake up everybody. That's what the awakening is. All right. Now, Take what you've learned so far, and we're going to move into this next thing and go. And it just like starts now. So I'm with you on this. I'm again, man. You get me fired up, Greg. I love yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of doom and gloom out there, and and you know, people uh, as they wake up, uh, you know, there's a lot of traps, um, uh, and and kind of dead ends and all that stuff. So it's it's uh, um, you know, really staying centered and grounded and and uh, true to your own signal. Like I like to call it the home tone. You know, a, you know, true true to your own your own source of. Uh, life force and your own source of inspiration. Uh, so for me, that's what, you know, music has always been, um, uh, an unwavering, you know, sorts of an, a beacon for me, you know, over the years too. So yeah, people should, um, stay tuned to their own, the sound, the music of their own spirit and, and don't get swayed by the, you know, the, the kind of, um, intense media, uh, barrage and, and the weaponization of a lot of these agendas has been just mind blowing the last couple of years. So, uh, trying to avoid those pitfalls as as, uh, as another part of this as well. Yeah, ET home tone. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know that's a Mandela effect. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Which, which one do you remember? The Mandela. Which one? Uh, the home tone. Yeah, uh, ET. Did he say uh, ET phone home or ET home phone? ET phone home. Right. Yeah. Never happened. You're from my dimension. Good deal. All yeah, right. I, I had a I had a woman who had one of those speaking spells, um, and the guides would use it. Her guides would use that to communicate with her. So even with the power off, um, I had video of it. Um, she would ask it a question, and it would answer, and we would beep and in response. It was amazing. <laughs> God, that's cool. How yeah. cool is that? I speak and spell. That's amazing. All right. I like the medium. That's fun. Rather than like a Cassio or something like that or Bumblebee, yeah, right? yeah. the transformer who speaks through the radio. I dig it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, before I turn you loose, man, and this has been amazing. All the ways, of course, to find you will be located down in the show notes, guys. So make Thank sure you. that you check him out. Of course, dude, you're welcome any damn time. Uh, let's just touch on a little bit of Japan's esoteric hidden history. Yeah, yeah, wow. Well, that's a whole other topic what we'd love to get into next time. Uh, yeah, so we've got, uh, you know, a lot of um, the language barrier is so intense here. And uh, what I found was that 
um, you know, when uh, 2012 was happening, uh, the Japanese um, were really talking a lot about um, this uh, uh, esoteric uh, tradition or a series of automatic writings that were that was received by a Shinto priest in the late uh, 40s, early 50s called uh, Hifumi Shinji, Hifumi, which is the uh, one, two, three um, writings, it's called. And um, and they were talking about, you know, they he predicted the 311 earthquake kind of thing and and uh, this sort of mass spiritual awakening and all that stuff. So um, not quite end times, you might, but he he was uh, talking about things that are way way beyond the spectrum of what he, what he would have been able to access at the time. So um, uh, people refer to that as uh, one of these sort of like esoteric Japanese traditions that ties into the current situation. Um, and then also uh, we've had a lot of the uh, petroglyph researchers and and uh, ancient cultures and and sort of ancient relics here. Um, that are that have been um once the emperor imperial system was established were really kind of like uh you know boycotted and so those um ancient writing scripts and uh, some of them are called katakamna and uh their systems of writings and symbols like basically japanese hieroglyphs cool. so that those are like pre-egyptian you know i mean perhaps even pre-sumerian um so we there's uh, a lot of researchers here uh working with those texts and everything so i, I hope to be able to share those with the english speaking world in the future yeah damn that's cool yeah just translate that up for us brother we'd really appreciate that that's awesome man um yeah <clears throat> well of course greg thank you so much dude we will have you back on to do the japanese hidden esoteric history i can't wait for that one i've got a couple buddies actually we'll do we'll do a group chat on that that'll be cool yes i will definitely brandon thank you so much it was really fun today so yeah Absolutely. I was just going to say all the ways to find him, guys, of course, located down in the show notes. Greg Sullivan, thank you so much for your time, brother. Come back anytime. You have a home here anytime you want it, man. Thanks a lot. It was great to be expanding reality with you. It's awesome. To, thanks, Brent. Thanks so much. Let's see. Let's do it again soon. Just an absolutely fascinating guy. Uh, one of the best resources that we have when it comes to things like this. And he covers the gamut, which I love. He's just got a vast perception on this thing, which is, I think, necessary. And that is what's going to take us into this next level. So Greg Sullivan, all the ways to find him, guys, are located down in the show notes. Make sure that you check him out. Also down there is going to be our affiliate links, Food Forest Abundance. Get your freedom from fear on. Uh, if you want to start your podcast, you might as well start out with two months free. Use who I host through, which is Libsyn. That link is down there as well if you were going to buy any damn thing at all on amazon go ahead and feed that beast through our link it helps the show it is down there also a resource link for you guys to check out if you've had any paranormal encounters any abduction type phenomena anything strange that you think that you just want to talk to and report and maybe get with a community on check out the resource link opus which is the organization for paranormal understanding and support check that thing out guys absolutely amazing also, if you guys want to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That's going to be links for all the socials, merchandise is over there. Uh, we do the live replays over there if you don't catch them live. Also, you can become an expansive insider. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, and that's how you do that. So let's go out into this amazing world, guys, collectively. And let's just all pledge to each other that the next time that we're faced with anything in life, good, bad, whatever, however you want to perceive it, you take it as an opportunity to be a greater, grander version of yourself every time and just watch the magic happen. 
while you're doing all that, of course, pick up a piece of litter if you don't mind. Uh, buy somebody around a coffee or a meal in line around you, something like that. Something small, but it goes a long way, right? Uh, also, get out of the left-hand lane. Uh, it's a big pain in the ass for you driving in the left-hand lane. You got somebody behind you wanting to pass, so just move on over. That helps with the vibe, of course, out of everything else, guys. Go out into this beautiful place, whatever the hell this thing is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.